As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. When a state lawmaker gets investigated for bad behavior, the details are hidden. The chief says he's legally barred from naming the officers involved, what discipline they got, or what rules they broke. The says in the 11 cases where a violation did occur, appropriate discipline was taken. The records Kenosha Unified won't give us, citing ongoing investigations, attorney-client privilege, and the district's concern about attracting and retaining public employees. The governor called it a discipline issue, but was there any actual discipline? You're the boss. Government leaders and employees work for you. That's why when they behave poorly, you're supposed to be able to see the details. But it's not always that easy. What are government agencies required to reveal when it comes to discipline? And what happens when they try to keep those records secret? From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire, here with my colleague Brian Polson. Hi, Brian. Hi, Amanda. We are recording this episode on Tuesday, August 4th. And today we're talking about open records and discipline, why we'd even want to see how government employees behave and why that process can be a struggle. Amanda, we do a lot of stories about this issue. You have, especially in the past year, We decided to cover this topic today, though, because of a story you did last night. Tell me about that. Yeah, so if you haven't listened to our episode about the secret recording of Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers' conversation with Republican legislative leaders, now might be a good time to add that to your list. In a nutshell, uh, Governor Tony Evers was talking to both Republican Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald and Assembly Speaker Robin Voss about the state's COVID-19 response. They're trying to figure out how are we going to move forward? Is there anything we can come to an agreement about? This was after the Supreme Court had determined that uh, Governor Evers' safer at home order uh, could no longer stay in effect, was unconstitutional, whatever the ruling was. And and because of that, that, that ruling ended safer at home. So this was, if I recall, a discussion to say, okay, what do we do now? And can we come up with a plan we agree on? Right. That's right. And the conversation was not super friendly. Uh, They, there's a history here of animosity between the Republican-led legislature and the governor. And Governor Tony Evers says he was not aware at the time that a staff member, who he has declined to name, was recording the conversation for note-taking purposes. Neither were the legislative leaders on the call. What happens then is that record, once it's made, becomes a public record under Wisconsin law. And eventually it gets released to media outlets that requested it. And there's been a lot of question about who tipped those media outlets off that this existed. How exactly did that work? But long story short, 
this recording becomes public and state lawmakers are not happy on both sides of the aisle, but especially Republicans. They're calling it a breach of trust. They're comparing Governor Evers to Richard Nixon with secret tapes. uh, And there's a lot of fallout here. And Governor Evers very publicly called this a personnel and a discipline issue. So that led us to go, okay, if, if it's a personnel and discipline issue, if someone gets disciplined, there's going to be a record of it. And in Wisconsin, for the most part, disciplinary records are considered public records. And we'll get into the the debate about that and the struggle about that in, in a second. But we requested those records. It took more than a month for the Evers administration to tell us, and this was the story we ran last night, that there are no responsive records to our request for disciplinary actions taken against the person who recorded the phone call. So to be clear, the go- the governor said at the time, because there were calls from both parties, to members of both parties in the legislature, to fire whoever the staffer was, or to at least take some form of disciplinary action. And the governor said this was a disciplinary matter, which suggests someone was being disciplined. Now, you get this response that says there are no disciplinary records or no records responsive to your request. Does that mean there was no discipline? Well, and that was our question for the governor's office. So there were a couple different scenarios. Whenever we get these, Brian, you know, we try to go through what are some of the other logical answers. So my first question was, okay, is there still a, quote, pending investigation? Usually when that happens, the response letters we get say, hey, we can't give you this record because the investigation is ongoing. That's not what the governor's office said. And that would be a pretty long investigation for an issue in which they had clearly already identified the staffer who recorded the call. But that was that was one possibility. The other one was, OK, maybe they disciplined the person and for whatever reason, kept no record of it. Now, anyone who works in government will tell you that that is not a good government practice. And anything like that would raise questions about whether they were trying to circumvent the open records law and circumvent the idea of making this public. And then, of course, the other option is there was no discipline for this. So those were kind of the the three main uh, options that seemed somewhat likely We asked the governor's office about it. They won't answer any questions. So we're just kind of left with this response letter that says there there are no responsive records to your request. But it it reminded me of some other disciplinary issues that have come up as we've tried to get disciplinary records. And specifically the way the governor spoke about this, where he said this is an internal matter. This is a discipline and personnel issue. We hear that a lot, right? Right. The thing is, in Wisconsin, if you're talking government discipline, that's not purely internal because by nature, government itself is not internal. It's public. And the discipline itself is considered public. So a lot of people use this as a disciplinary matter as a shield. But when we're talking Wisconsin law, that's that's not really correct. So before we move on to the bigger picture, and I know you've covered a lot in terms of transparency involving government discipline uh, on this this case in the governor's office, you, you mentioned three possibilities. The second one is the one I guess I, I, I'm not sure that I quite grasp, which is the possibility that discipline or disciplinary action was taken, but they made no record of it. How is that even possible? 
It's a good question, and I I don't know, and and I I certainly don't want to speculate, but you know I I could see something where if someone gives someone a warning and they consider that discipline, and it's a verbal warning, and people take care to not write it down, then maybe there wouldn't be a record of it. It it wouldn't be a good government practice. Well, no, because you build no track record that's in writing at that point. And frankly, if I'm that employee, hey, my file says nothing. It didn't happen. Exactly. And so that that would be an issue if that came up. And that's why these disciplinary records are important. So, um, you know, those were the three options that seemed like they could exist. That's not to say that uh, all of them are equally likely. Knowing what we know about how government works, the most likely option seems to be that there has been no discipline. Which, which is a big deal. And I say that because the governor's public statements were, I didn't know this was being recorded. I didn't want it that way. And, and this is now a personnel matter. And there were calls for discipline. So if he said this was a personnel matter and then took no disciplinary action there's no record or explanation of why or why not. And the governor's office clearly isn't talking to you about that. Well, and when we reached out to uh, Assembly Speaker Robin Voss and uh, Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald, Fitzgerald didn't respond, but Voss sent us a statement basically saying, okay, you're clearly not taking this seriously, was the gist of his statement, if you're not even disciplining the person when the calls were to fire that person. And Evers kind and, of tempered and, and, and again, it down. these weren't low-level employees who were on that call. So far as we know, as far as announced participants of the call, there were only a couple of other people. One of them being Maggie Gao, and and and, uh, and I'm not sure who was there. Were the there one or two chief others? Of staff, the governor's chief of staff and the governor's chief legal counsel were on so, the call. So it's one of those two people, presumably, or it was recorded by someone illegally. Is that, I mean, are are those not the only options? No, those are not the only options because there were other people on the call who have not been named. So at the beginning of the call, um, Governor Evers does specifically say, you know, I have my chief of staff and chief legal counsel on the call, presumably because they would also be speaking. But When these calls happen, there are other people who are on the call listening and taking notes. And actually what Governor Evers says is, I presume you guys have your own other staffers on the call, too, and no one disputes that. So from the sounds of it, Voss had someone on the call. Fitzgerald had someone on the call. Other people haven't been named. We don't know if anyone else on the Evers staff was on the call. We know that Maggie Gao and... um, the chief legal counsel, that they were participating in the call. But other people could have been on the call and listening. And then the question is, okay, if you're on the call and listening, are you able to consent to the recording? How does that work? And we do have a a full episode on that. Bottom line on this one was the governor's office has told you there are no records of discipline, which raises that question of just how much transparency is there in the disciplinary process. And you have covered that in in other avenues outside the governor's office just in the past year. Yeah. So I think we should start with why we even care about disciplinary records. And we've hit on that in, in covering the issue of the governor's office. But disciplinary records help you figure out how the people you pay are behaving, but also how they're holding other people accountable. It also just adds another level of government accountability. So if you have an employee who is just a a consistent and persistent sexual harasser and is being 
kind of passed around from department to department and keeps getting a slap on the wrist, but keeps getting retained. Uh, issues aren't fully investigated. That person gets promoted into positions of power. That affects your government. That affects how efficient your government is acting. And it also affects whether that person's held accountable. So when disciplinary records are public and people are able to view them, there is added incentive to make sure that you are truly taking care of disciplinary issues. So that's why we we care about them. I moved to Wisconsin two years ago from Pennsylvania, where in Pennsylvania, government discipline by and large is unavailable to the public. So there's a huge exception to Pennsylvania's right to know law. That's what they call it, the right to know law, where personnel files are part of that exemption except for discipline that results in a demotion or discharge. But if it's a discipline that's just like a suspension or a warning or anything like that, you're not going to get to see that. So it was really hard to track if there were accusations against a person. It was really hard to track what was the history here. Did this person's organization properly investigate and take care of it? What's the argument for keeping those records secret unless there is substantial discipline like a demotion or, or a termination? What is the what what is the case that Pennsylvania lawmakers, for instance, would make uh, for saying or those who, who, who create crafted that policy would make for keeping that secret? It depends on who you ask. A lot of people have raised uh, issues of privacy concerns. So that they're basically saying they don't want their employees to be embarrassed. Uh, That open government advocates tend to kind of dismiss that because when you're working in government, there already is a a layer of privacy that's eroded, right? Everyone knows your salary. Everyone knows certain things about your job that they wouldn't necessarily know if you were in the private sector. Uh, Another argument that gets made for keeping disciplinary records secret, um, and it's one that actually comes up in Wisconsin too, is the idea of having a chilling effect on future investigations. So if these records become public and people can put two and two together about who complained about something or who was a witness who was interviewed about something and and that led to someone's discipline, that that could prevent people from coming forward and being totally honest in an investigation. And another argument that also gets used in Wisconsin is that, um, and this one makes me chuckle a little bit, when I see it, because it's usually not used very well, is that it will make it harder to hire more people in the position and it will cause morale to plummet. That's that's an argument we get frequently. Now that, you know, that morale can plummet if there's no accountability in your office as well. And if you're worried about someone else's conduct, preventing other people from coming to work at your organization there are things you can do on the front end to discourage that conduct. But those are the main arguments that um, I heard in Pennsylvania, but also that pop up in Wisconsin. The difference is the end result in Pennsylvania was a very specific exemption in the law that largely shields personnel files, whereas Wisconsin does not have that exemption. In fact, Wisconsin has years of case law upholding the idea that disciplinary records should be public. In fact, even that investigations that result in no discipline 
and that essentially clear the person who was accused should be public because the public has the right to see how their government even investigates those issues to begin with. And they have the right to see if someone was cleared. And yet, as we often see in government, and this is the case here in Wisconsin, where this case law saying that uh, these disciplinary records in government should be transparent, should be public, the legislature uh, has done things to protect themselves from that same kind of transparency. You did a very time-consuming investigation uh, last year where you actually called 132 state lawmakers, assembly members, and senators to ask what they thought about that uh, because disciplinary records for uh, investigations of state lawmakers are not public record. And and uh, you found very few. In fact, you found only one of the 132 willing to talk about that on camera. Yeah, so my my argument is that the uh, legislature's investigations are public record. They just choose to make them not public record uh, or not available to the public, I should say. And there's actually a lawsuit going on about that right now. A group of news outlets sued Wisconsin legislature saying you need to make your um, investigations and your disciplinary records public. The, the interesting thing in Wisconsin is there isn't a whole lot of enforcement when it comes to open records outside of taking an issue to court. And a lot of people aren't going to take an issue to court when they get a denial. They're just going to move on to the next thing. So as a result, we see, even though we have years of case law saying disciplinary records are public, we see agencies taking certain liberties and and ignoring that and saying, no, we're going to keep these disciplinary records private. And that's what the legislature did. So when a state lawmaker gets accused of doing something wrong, what they do is they write up a summary and they send that out to the media outlets, but they do not release the actual details of the investigation we would usually get. So you don't get to see how they conducted it. You don't get to evaluate whether it was very thorough. You don't get to evaluate whether... They were harsher on this person than that person. And and what was the reasoning for that? And so as a result, there's a lot that gets lost, especially when you're talking about state lawmakers who you're not only paying, but you're electing to represent you. And the idea there in having that be public is that you need to be able to evaluate their behavior. Now, when the, the one person you interviewed who did do an on-camera interview at the time, Senator Chris Larson sat down with you and and the argument he even he he was the one person really advocating for transparency the one person willing to talk about this with you on camera and even he said or didn't go so far as to say he thinks these records should be released and he said one of the arguments for that is to prevent allegations especially baseless allegations from being used as a political bludgeon in other words someone in an office makes an allegation that has no real merit, there's no evidence behind it, it's not found to be credible, and yet the details of the allegation are salacious enough that others request it through open records and use it uh, in, who knows, campaign ads or whatever it might be. So the concern there being that, I guess, baseless allegations could potentially be used against people. Is that one of the primary arguments you hear, or is that just one argument. That's just one argument. And I think the the issue with that argument is that there's a pretty clear piece of case law that 
rejects that argument. Um, it's called Linsmeyer v. Forsey. And in that specific case, the Wisconsin Supreme Court ruled that an investigative report about a teacher that did not result in disciplinary action or any charges should still be public. And the idea is if you have those records and if it was a baseless allegation, you get to see it was a baseless allegation. And uh, the open records attorneys I've talked to, uh, they were pretty disappointed with Senator Larson's argument because they felt as though that was saying, we don't trust the public with these records. Even though these are the public's records, we don't trust the public with them. That story was interesting because for that, we called every single state lawmaker to get them on the record about what they think of this practice of the legislature shielding disciplinary records that are pretty clearly, according to case law, subject to release. Playing devil's advocate, we do know that these legislative offices are usually small and an individual lawmaker may only have a couple or a few staff members if, in fact, those records are public and they involve sexual harassment allegations or something like that. Um, or or bullying or whatever it might be, is there a concern that the very limited number of staff members would be outed even if the records are redacted to eliminate the name of the complainant that they become outed as the source of a complaint and therefore maybe blackball themselves from future employment in the legislature? And that's the concern that eventually the, the legislature raised when we push them on this issue. It was interesting because at first they said it was their policy to never release this information. And there's, according to Wisconsin case law, you cannot have a blanket exemption like that. So they kind of messed up in their their usage of that word and they they walked it back. Um, But then eventually they said that exact argument, Brian, look, we don't want to out people who are taking a risk by coming forward. We want people to be open and honest with these investigations. The state Supreme Court has typically rejected arguments that releasing these records could have a chilling effect on the investigation, in part because the tool of redactions can be so effective. So if, for example, the chief clerk can look at these records and get enough information to write up a summary for the media, which is what they do, then it stands to reason that you could redact enough information from the document where people could look at that same information but not have it through the the filter of someone writing up a summary. Uh, There also has been, the chief clerks have said that they've had staff members come to them and specifically express concerns about these records being released. I know the staff members I've spoken to in those office didn't really seem to have a problem with it. And specifically, um, advocacy groups against sexual assault, they've avoided even taking a side in this debate because on one hand, they say, yes, there is a concern about people uh, being discouraged from coming forward, but we are equally as concerned about people not being held accountable for their behavior and about concern for the victims almost being weaponized into a shield for the people who are doing something wrong and then allowed to continue to serve in their capacity because there's no outside watchdog checking to make sure they were held accountable. Well, And as we have seen so many times since the sort of Me Too movement began, 
when cases come out where we find there was an individual with a long track record of harassment or sexual impropriety, we often find there was a long string of allegations that were individually one at a time, either not made or if they were made, were treated as either not credible, not provable, there's not enough evidence, but it is ultimately when you see the aggregation of those allegations and you go, wow, there's a pattern here that they begin to gain credibility. And so when you shield the public from seeing these disciplinary records, even if no discipline is taken, if you had an individual who staff member after staff member, year after year is making allegations, there's a pattern. If I am understanding correctly right now, we have no way of seeing that pattern. We have no, with the legislature, we have no way of seeing that pattern because they have chosen to kind of test the law here and shield those records from the public. It will be interesting to see how this current lawsuit plays out. And I mean, they're they're fighting it hard. Uh, they do not want to release these records that other government agencies do routinely turn over. And I don't want that to get lost. We, Although we do get a lot of resistance from government agencies when we request disciplinary records, there are also government agencies that get it. They know that this is the law and they turn those records over. Now, it might be with some delays and there might be some back and forth. But eventually, we get those records. It's how we discovered Kenosha Unified School District, over the course of 10 months, had a slew of complaints about sexual harassment and issues with coaches and uh, the inappropriate touching of students by a teacher. And we never would have been able to see that pattern, as you described, Brian, laid out one after the other to show the public what was going on if we didn't have access to those disciplinary records. Well, and if you think when you start thinking of things like privacy, there is hardly an area of law where privacy is treated as more important than in the the medical system, the healthcare system. And yet when it comes to doctors or nurses or other licensed healthcare professionals, disciplinary records have always been in the state of Wisconsin, have always been accessible, they've always been public, and we have done a large number of stories where we have been able to expose the disciplinary histories of of doctors and chiropractors and, and you know eye practitioners and others because those disciplinary records were public and and, and yet it hasn't apparently uh, discouraged complaints from being filed by those who are concerned about their privacy. Right. And in those cases, there is a public health interest in knowing the discipline, right? So when you are selecting who is going to be treating you, who is going to be taking care of you and who you're going to be trusting with your medical future, you want to know, okay, what have they been accused of in the past? What have they been disciplined for in the past? I think it's it's recognized that there is a, a public interest in that. And and the same goes for government employees. It's just the the difficult thing is there really isn't an enforcement mechanism if someone improperly denies you a record other than going to court. And although there are lawyers who will take those cases on contingency, that can still be a, a tough hurdle to clear for a lot of people. And so as a result, you you have agencies that kind of take their chance at denying the records. And if it turns out they have to walk that back, they can. But if they've had success with not turning over the records, they're going to keep doing that. There's obviously been an enormous amount of attention lately on 
the behavior of a certain aspect of government employees, police officers. Um, and we in Wisconsin have had, you know, a, a history of accessing police disciplinary records. What has been your experience in accessing police disciplinary records in, in Wisconsin? Are they generally available and accessible uh, more so than something like the legislature? Yeah, there, I've, I haven't I have run into a, a problem accessing the actual disciplinary records. I get a little more pushback when I request emails surrounding the discipline. That's where uh, sometimes people get a little, little squeamish. But when it comes to the actual disciplinary records, I really haven't had a problem in Wisconsin. And in Pennsylvania, by the way, you're not going to get those records unless the person was fired or demoted. So you can imagine that that's become a topic of conversation now with the conversations around uh, police accountability and and questions about police brutality, because there's it's very hard to hold people accountable for something you don't know they did. Are there any other categories of government employees where there are still question marks about the transparency or accessibility of disciplinary records in Wisconsin? Hmm, that's a good question. I mean, the legislature is definitely the one um, that comes to mind that's taken the most liberty. I, I guess the other one would be in, in the judiciary, uh, just because there's a, there's been kind of an ongoing question. If you ever get an open records response from the judiciary, you'll notice that a lot of times it starts with, we're not saying that we're subject to the open records law because that issue is still open, but here are your records. Now, judicial discipline does go through its own process, and it is accessible um, through the courts in various ways. But if if someone wanted to make that difficult, then that would be the other area where I could I could see that being tested. And and I believe in terms of judicial discipline, lawyer discipline, anything in in the legal area, legal arena, as I recall, the the Office of Lawyer Regulation in Wisconsin, those records are typically only accessible when it does reach a certain level of uh, investigation. Uh, Allegations that are unfounded are not public record, um, but if they reach a certain level of discipline or at least a certain uh, level of investigative uh, depth, I, I guess, then they may well become public record. And that is not a rapid process. That takes <laughs> quite a long time. So if you find a, a case where there is a public record, it probably dates back uh, many months, if not years. Yeah. And that's I, I, and that's part of the issue, too, is how quickly can we get these records? Because the, the records are relevant at the time you're asking for them. But if you get them a year later, how much good is that really doing you? If you get them after the election and you've been trying to find out more about uh, an elected leader's behavior, that doesn't really help you. And so one thing I have noticed is sometimes the, our battle with agencies is getting these records in a timely fashion. Now, sometimes uh, there are a good reason that there will be delays. So, for example, um, there are, I had requested some police disciplinary records. They include interviews with different people, and there are probably about 30 hours of interviews. And in order to protect witness names, those videos have to be redacted. That takes a really long time. So something like that, of course, it's going to take 
a, a much longer time. And typically as a requester, that's when we would narrow the search down because we it's very obvious why that would be time consuming. There are other times when it's as simple as printing off a sheet of paper and giving it to us. And that's something that can happen very quickly. Well, and there's one other reason that uh, will often cause at least a temporary delay in the release of disciplinary records in Wisconsin, and that goes back to case law uh, involving something known as the Wisniki notice. And we could probably do a whole episode on what that is, but can you briefly explain what a Wisniki notice is? Yeah, so uh, essentially there's case law in Wisconsin that says that if a government agency is going to turn over a disciplinary record about someone, they need to notify them and then give them a set amount of time to essentially have the opportunity to go to court and try and stop the release of those records. And from the requester standpoint, that can be very frustrating because I have I've had um, public employees and former public employees try to go to court to stop me from getting literally audio of recording of a public meeting. So something that is very clearly a public record, um, people are going to court to try to stop. But the idea is that they have a, a right to know that information is being disclosed about them and they have a right to go through the court process. It does certainly slow down the release of records just through the notification process. And then if it goes to court, it could be months. Um, but that, and that so is it, something that was that's Nikki notice lets them know that the records are about to be released and gives them an opportunity to fight it. So that because my guess is the argument there is that once the records are released, you can't unrelease them. That's right. So if if there's a legal case to be made to keep them private, they want to give that employee the opportunity to make it. Most often in in my experience, and I believe you've probably had the same, most often those employees will not go to court, especially if it's clear that they're going to lose. Um, but there are some who will go to great lengths to try to keep whatever's in those records from becoming public. And, and in those cases, it can create a significant delay. Well, and in those cases, it only makes me more interested in the records. So sometimes I requested something um, just because I want to see what's there. And if someone's fighting to keep me from getting it, it makes me go, OK, well, what's in here must be really salacious or it must be really bad if they're working so hard to keep me from getting it. So sometimes it has the opposite effect where it draws more attention on uh, a record where maybe the the attention wouldn't necessarily be there. But that is something that can delay the, the release of disciplinary records in Wisconsin. So bottom line, why is it important for us to know what kind of discipline is being taken uh, against government employees? I mean, we don't know what's happening at you know, a, a private corporation in terms of the kind of discipline they're taking against employees. Why it is, is it important for us to know what public agencies are doing in terms of discipline? In short, because we're paying them, right? So in the same way, it's important for our boss, our direct boss at Fox 6 to know if there's any disciplinary action against us because he can't manage us if he doesn't know what we've done or what's currently on our record. It, it's the same with public employees. So if you're an employee at a private corporation, the public isn't paying your salary with tax dollars. When you're working in the government sphere, the public is paying your salary with tax dollars and the public is supposed to be the boss. And these records are supposed to belong 
to the public. That's why we call them records custodians, right? They're just in charge of maintaining the records and keeping them, but we are supposed to be the owners of these records. And so there's a problem when we try to go see the records we own about the employees we pay, and then we're blocked from seeing them, and then we're blocked from any sort of level of accountability. And then the reason that records, there are records, as you pointed out, that are um, disciplinary records that are not about government employees that are still public, because in those cases, they're considered a public health concern. So there are a lot of different reasons that we'd want to see that discipline. Um, but the the most compelling one, in, in my view, is is that we're supposed to be the ones in charge. You know, the podcast format gives us the chance to take a few liberties, in, and I'm just going to throw this one out there because I hadn't thought of it until you just gave that analogy of the custodian of records that belong to us. Um, I wonder if this analogy is apt, but the bank is the custodian of your money. It's your money, yep. and, and you have a right to it. The bank has it. The bank has procedures and practices for how and when it will release that money to you, but it's still your money. Is that an appropriate analogy for these open records? They belong to you, uh, and there are certain things within there. They have to they have to take care to redact or make sure that privacy is not violated. There, there are procedures, but ultimately they belong to you, and if you want them, you should get them. Yeah, I think that's a good analogy. I think there was one story I did early on at Fox 6 where I think I used the analogy of, you know, if, if you put your stuff in storage, right? And then the storage company says, nope, you can't have your stuff. It's ours now. <laughs> then that's that's kind of what we encounter when, when people block the release of records. Uh, it's still your stuff. It's still your money. They're still your employees. And look, the average person is probably not going to sit at home and go through 2,000 pages of disciplinary records. And that's fine. That's what we're for. Our job is to go through that so that you don't have to. But the mere fact that someone can access these records, just that fact that at some point this could be something that's in the public view, that alone brings a, a different level of accountability for how investigations are handled, for how employees are disciplined, and, and for how employees behave. Well, and to back to the top of this discussion, back to the governor's secret recording, there's a question the public still doesn't have an answer to. And, and even the participants of the call don't have an answer to, such as uh, 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 Robin Voss and, and Scott Fitzgerald. Ultimately, we don't know who recorded the call or who consented to that recording. And the disciplinary records were supposed to answer that question. We still don't have that answer because we've been told no records exist. I know that's, a, that's a, a topic we'll continue to be open to if more information surfaces, but it looks like we may never know the answer to that question. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I think it's interesting that the governor's office continues to insist that this is purely a, a personnel matter when, like we've talked about, personnel matters, a, a lot of them are public in the state of Wisconsin. So that alone doesn't necessarily mean it's this private internal thing. And this employee is presumably someone that we, the public, are paying. And the idea is that we, the public, have have a right to know how they behave. So I, I'm waiting on a few other records. We'll see if those shed light on on anything else and if eventually we discover this so we're still going to be asking questions we're still going to be working to find out exactly what happened and um, obviously we'll keep you posted 
All right. Well, another good episode, Amanda. And uh, I keep working on these because I'll tell you, these are the kinds of things that sometimes they don't make the, the sexiest topics right off the bat. But when these kinds of investigations come through, they are the things that make a difference and make big headlines. Yeah. I, when we're talking about open records, we're talking about your window into how your money is spent, how your government works. And that's something that we both feel really strongly about. And it's why we're going to keep talking about that. And of course, we're going to continue to bring you these twice-weekly episodes of Open Record as we cover the COVID-19 pandemic and so much more, as you heard today. If there's a topic you want us to discuss, an issue you think we should investigate, please send us an email at WITI underscore the investigators at fox.com. Note that our email address has changed. It is now WITI underscore the investigators at fox.com. And thank you, as always, to the people who make this podcast possible. That includes producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. And please subscribe to Open Record. If you haven't done that already, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Polson. We'll be back with our next regularly scheduled episode on Thursday. Thursday.